You're listening to the sermon podcast of Mountain View Church. Whether you're here catching up on last week's message or digging through a past series, we're so grateful you've tuned in today. Our prayer is the next 30 to 40 minutes helps you become a more whole follower of Jesus. If you're local and would like to join us, we'd love to see you this Sunday. For those who can't make it in person, services are also streamed on Facebook and YouTube. All the information about service times, what we have for kids, and much more can be found on our website, almsville.church. Now, let's open our hearts and minds to today's message. sounds of Mr. Rogers. That, uh, I've been waiting to pull that in for a while, for, for a couple weeks now, because the, the audio, the remixed version there that you just heard uh, was produced by none other than Rob Harris, who led us in worship today, and it was like one of, the, I think you said it was like the early project of him using some new, new toys that he probably convinced Shelly he had to have for the church. Uh, uh, but he's, uh, we've got gifted people, you know, like I'm always amazed. I'm like, you could do that. Like, how did you do that? Uh, and I'll stop being surprised at some point, but grateful for Rob's talents. If Rob looks a little tired today, it's for a couple reasons. Number one, it's been a morning, uh, for all of our worship and tech team. If you're watching this online, I hope you can hear me at this point. Um, we're glad that you're with us. Um, but Rob and Shelly, they also had their baby last week. Last Thursday, Eden was born and... Yeah, and so if he looks a little tired, you know, a coffee gift card would be totally appropriate, I think, at this point, and uh, she was here with the baby first service, but she snuck away, I think, to feed here for a little bit, so keep your paws off. I told her, I said, I I promised her that I would tell all of you to not touch and kiss the babies, right? We don't want to do that, um, because I need Shelly back, like, yesterday, so we don't want her to go into hiding, so let's, uh, let's be good about that. Uh, if it's your first time with us, or maybe you, you've been gone for a little while, we're in a series, this is week three, actually, of a series called How to Neighbor. And when I thought about that, I thought, we should have created, like, a legit how-to manual, right? Are those still a thing? Are how-to neighbors still a thing? How, how to, how to manage? I think YouTube probably killed the how-to manual, because now you just type in, right, on YouTube how to do whatever. But there are still some print versions out there. I went on Amazon this week, and I just was like, I wonder what kind of how-to manuals people are buying. And you know on Amazon how you can search by, like, most popular, like, best-selling and different categories and stuff? 
So I did that with how-to manuals. And I wanted to share a few of the top 10 that I found on there. Um, this first one is how to tell if your cat is plotting to kill you. <laughs> this is a real book. We had someone in first service who was like, I own that. I'm like, really? Um, I, I think the answer is whether or not you have a cat. I think, I think that's pretty much your answer, okay? If you, if you answer yes, it's plotting to kill you. Um, next book is How to Traumatize Your Children. Uh, now, the subtitle is key because all of us do this on some level, but usually we do it by accident. You know, they sit in a counseling office years from now and talk about how terrible of a parent you were. That's normal, by the way. Uh, but here's the key. Listen to the subtitle. Seven proven methods to help you screw up your kids deliberately and with skill. Like all of us screw up our kids, but if you want to do it better, this is the how-to manual for you, okay? And then um, the last one, again, these were in the top 10 on Amazon. The last one is how to poo at work. I don't know. I don't know if it's like how to not be embarrassed or what. I've got my own little bathroom in the office over there, so I don't really struggle with this one. But for some of you, I wanted to make sure that you got this. And I will purchase a copy for you personally. You just let me know, and I will buy it and make sure I put your name on it, okay? Um, these are real. These are real books that, that you could find. I thought, man, we really should have come up with a how-to-neighbor manual. That would have sold three copies at least, right? Because um, I think all of us, you know, we want to live next to good neighbors. Would, would you agree with me that the quality of your life is significantly impacted by the quality of your neighbor's? Like, like, if you don't think that's true, wait till you have really bad neighbors. And then you'll go, oh, yeah, that matters. That really matters, right? All of us want good neighbors. No one moves into a house and pays a lot of money to live there and whatever. And then it says, you know, I really hope that the people next door, like, never mow their grass, uh, you know, let their dog poop in my yard. I was going to say cat, but I feel like I've picked on cats enough today. Uh, or, you know, play loud music all night long at 2 in the morning, like, those are not on the short list of things that you want out of your neighbors. We all want to live near people who are kind and considerate and respectful. And, uh, you know, I think the question is, though, am I that kind of neighbor? Right? Or maybe you could put it this way. Um, would I be neighbors with me? Would I be neighbors with me? Now, hopefully the answer is yes. I think all of us would say we hope the answer is yes. I, I have to tell you, I think this whole series is for me. Cassie and I, every one of our closest neighbors has moved in the last two years. I'm starting to think it's me. I'm starting to think I am not a good neighbor, maybe. Um, so I've been taking a lot of notes. Um, if, you've, if you've missed where we've been, week one, uh, Pastor Betsy kicked us off. She actually talked about the power of listening well and seeing people and knowing them and making them feel loved. Um, and then last week, we looked at this story in the Bible called The Good Samaritan, Right where, where Jesus challenged us to take the risk and cross the road and sacrificially love people, even people that are hard to love. And that was one of the things that I think God kind of put his finger on for a lot of us last week. I prayed for, with several of you after service where like God put someone in your heart, in your mind, that you were like, that person is so hard for me to love, and I don't, I don't know how to love them, and I need help with that. And, and we prayed together. Um, 
Today, I want to go back into the same story. I told you last week, we're going to be in the Good Samaritan for two weeks. So if you've got a Bible, Luke chapter 10, we're going to go right back there. Uh, if you're in the Bible app, remember, open up events, click on our church, and there's going to be lots of scripture that are going to be rapid fire today that are in there, or you can always take a picture of the screen or whatever's whatever easier. Um, remember, Jesus tells this story as a response to a question, right? There's the lawyer, the expert in the law, who comes to Jesus, and it says he's trying to test him. So it's not like just some honest conversation. This is more of a debate. And it says specifically when he asked the second question, uh, the Bible says that he's trying to justify himself. Okay, so the guy that asked the question isn't actually looking for the right answer. He's looking for his answer. You know the difference? You ever been in a conversation with someone where you're like, I don't think that's an honest question. I think you're hoping I'll just say what you want me to say so you'll feel better. And so that's kind of the situation this guy's in. He asks, who is my neighbor? Right? Who is my neighbor? And to, the, to that, Jesus tells this story. It says, in reply, verse 30, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity. Or some translations say he had mercy on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, which we talked last week is like, that's the equivalent of two day, full days of work, two days wages. And he gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. So this is a, an incredible story. It's a well-known story. It's a story that a lot of us are familiar with or have heard, or you've at least heard the term Good Samaritan. That's a pretty common phrase. We put it on hospitals and, and all this stuff in our culture. Um, but Jesus is essentially, by telling the story, he's telling this expert in the law that, that God is less concerned about who qualifies as our neighbor, and he's more concerned about the quality of our love. Right, because the guy, when he asked the question, remember, he's got columns in his mind of, okay, these people are worthy of love. These people are my neighbors, and these people are not. And by making the Samaritan the hero of the story and having the guy admit, oh, oh, the Samaritan, yeah, he's the neighbor, Jesus is saying there really isn't anyone in your life that isn't worthy of your love. It's not about, the, it's not about who qualifies. It's about the quality of your love for that person. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I read the Bible, um, I like to put myself in the story. Like, where, where would I be if this was happening? And you can't always do that with every story. A lot of it depends on the, the genre of literature um, or, or what the main point is. But, like, for this, for this story, if I was going to do that in Luke 10, for me, um, the logical choice would probably be the priest. Right? And not because I like to wear one of those little white collars or have people call me father. That's weird. Don't do that. Um, people do that, actually. It's like, nah, it's a little different. Um, Mike is fine, by the way. Mike's fine. Pastor Mike's fine. I would be the, I would be the priest because, I mean, in that time, right, he, he was the religious leader. 
Um, he was the one that was theologically trained and educated and was trusted to have the answers about who God was and how God would want to be and, you know, all of those kinds of things. And yet he fails the test of love. Like he knows all the Bible trivia, but when it comes time to show this man mercy, he, he doesn't do it. And so for me, if I would put myself in the story, I would put myself there, and then it would be a challenge to me as your pastor to say, hey, are you, are you walking the walk, or do you just like share some stuff from a stage and, and sound like you know what you're talking about, but then you're not actually obeying the Lord. You're not actually obeying and living the way that Jesus would have you to live. So that would be where I would kind of put myself in the story. Maybe that resonates for you, and, and that's fine. Maybe there would be some, another character um, Maybe you'd put yourself in the role of the Samaritan. Like everybody wants to be, be the hero of the story, right? Everyone wants to read themselves into the story and go, I would be the guy when everyone else kind of ignored the man, not me, right? I would be the man who would stop and, and, and help the guy, or at least you want to be. I think all of us would say that's who I'd want to be in the story. That's, what, that's how we use the phrase good Samaritan. It, it's someone who does a good deed, uh, sometimes unnoticed. Um, I, there's a story. So in, in 2018, there's a picture that kind of went went viral, got got shared all over the place, uh, and it's a picture of Aaron Jones. So Aaron Jones was on a flight with this woman and uh, realized she was struggling with her with her uh, walker that she had and her cane and all of her gear, and she was traveling by herself. So he helped her get loaded into the seat, and they were sitting next to each other and talked the whole way there and. Um, when their flight landed, he, again, realized, okay, she doesn't have anyone to help her get her stuff to her wheelchair. And so he gathered all of her stuff and walked off. And then they got to the wheelchair, and the stewardess said it would be there, but there wasn't anyone to push it. And so he's like, how is this woman going to get to baggage claim and meet up with her family? And, and so he just took it upon himself and um, loaded up her stuff and pushed her through the airport. Now, as they're getting closer and closer to baggage claim, family's looking like, who is this man, this rather large man, pushing grandma? And as they get closer, they realize it's Aaron Jones, who's the starting running back of the Green Bay Packers. She has no clue. She thinks it's a nice guy that was helping her out, you know, which, I mean, that's, that, to his credit, that's all he was trying to be. He wasn't trying to be Aaron Jones, you know, he was just trying to help her out. And so he gets there, and they, they take this picture, like, Grandma, do you, do you know who that is? And she's like, no, but I noticed you hugged him before you hugged me. And, and she, well, yeah, that's, you know, he's like an all-pro running back for the Green Bay Packers. This was in Wisconsin, by the way, key point in the story. They're big cheeseheads. And so they kind of lose it, you know, that, that Aaron Jones helped their grandma. And the headline with the picture of this story was Aaron Jones, Good Samaritan. Because that's how we use, that's how we use this phrase. Now, I think in context, historical context, and we talked about this last week, I think, I think this story is deeper than that. And I think Jesus is communicating something far more revolutionary than just like you should help people. Um, it was about who helped in the story and how the original Jewish audience would have struggled to accept the fact that the Samaritan was in fact the hero and the neighbor in the story. But what if, what if our place in the story isn't as the priest um, it's not as the Good Samaritan. What if our place in the story is as the beat-up man on the side of the road? Like, is it hard for you to put yourself 
in his shoes. Let me ask another question. Have you ever been in a situation where it was hard for you to accept something from someone else? It's really hard for you to be given something by someone else. I was in Haiti, uh, it's over a decade now, I was on a missions trip to the island of Loganov, which is an island right off the coast of Haiti, it's a part of Haiti. And uh, we had a ritual every day in the heat of the day when it was like too hot to like pour concrete. Well, it's too hot for us white guys to pour concrete. We quit. All the Haitians were like, you guys are like lazy, like come on and do this, you know, and they just put us to shame. They outworked all of us. Well, us and the missionary, uh, Rod, that we were staying with, we had a little tradition. We would stop in the middle of the day and we would drink a Toro which is an ice-cold Haitian Red Bull, uh, probably worse for you than a Red Bull. Like, it did not, I drank a lot of them, and I'm here to tell about it, but, I mean, there were some moments I wondered, okay? Um, and so by day, I don't know, three or four, we ran out of these, these Toros. So Rod and I walked down out of the missionary compound. We walked down to this local store. They have these little pop-up shops, you know, and um, there was a guy there, and he was kind of running a convenience store. And so Rod said, hey, we'd like to buy a pack of Toro. And so the guy brings it out of the refrigerator and puts it down, and Rod gives him his money, and then they begin a conversation. And I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you don't speak the language, but you're pretty sure everyone's talking about you. Um, it's, it's kind of nerve-wracking, but I know they were talking about me because they used the word blanc, which means white in Creole, and I'm like, ah, that's me. And so they're talking back, and he was essentially asking Rod why I was there, and like, what are we doing? And he said, well, they're, you know, they're from the States, and they're here to help uh, build onto the hospital and um, all of these things. And suddenly the owner gives Rod his money back, and then he walks to the, to the cooler, and he pulls out another pack of Toro, and he hands it to me. And Rod starts to walk away. I'm like, no, no, no. And so I, I get out my money, and I'm trying to pay, and he's like, no, no. And we kind of do one of those, like, no, 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 back and forth things. And, and I'm like, I'm looking at Rod, I'm like, I can't accept this. Because right? most people in Haiti live on like $2 a day. And like, there's just no way that I can take this generosity from him when I have plenty of money. To pay. It could be the difference between feeding somebody and not. So we kept going back and forth. And eventually Rod looks at me and he says, Mike, you are going to really offend him. Like he's getting pretty worked up. And if you continue to refuse, it's, it's like a slap in his face for not receiving his hospitality. So I took it, and I walked away, and I thought all week long, like, I felt gross. Like, I felt bad um, for receiving that from, from the guy. And I think a lot of you could probably relate to that and would maybe feel, feel similarly. On a scale of 1 to 10, I don't, I don't want you to answer out loud. Just think, think to yourself. On a scale of 1 to 10, how hard is it for you to receive from others? How hard is it for you to receive from others, especially when you don't feel like there's any way that you can repay the favor. That's where I really struggle. Um, I, I've got a lot of great people in this church and friends that have helped me out with various projects, you know, helped me lay flooring in my house, helped me fix my car. I feel like I could go to Aaron for half of these, but a lot of you, like, helped me fix my van and my car and all of that, landscaping, like, helped me figure out what I did wrong, planting a tree. Like, are you getting the picture that I'm pretty much useless? Are you, okay, so I've had lots of help from other people, and then I just sit there, like, I remember when we're laying the flooring, and I just sit there, and I think, 
I can pray real good. I read books a lot. I talk on a stage, you know, like, I, I, feeling like, okay, I, there's nothing that I'm going to be able to contribute, or there's, there's no way that, because that's what we do, right? When we get something, we think, okay, how can I balance, uh, you know, the scales? Like, I want to I be giving as much as I'm, I'm getting, and then we start to kind of try to figure out how to, how to make that work. I did help you roof, that's right. Did you get a picture and put it on the internet so everybody could see it? I did. That's right. And here's the thing: it's not a it's not a bad thing to to want to give and not just get all the time. I mean, that's a sign of maturity. Like you don't want to be a mooch, right? You you don't want to create cycles of codependency either, where you're just helping and helping and helping, or you're just taking and taking and taking. I mean, that, that that's not healthy either. But neither is emotional isolation, where you just pretend that everything's okay even when it's not, or uh, you know, prideful independence. When, like, you need help, but there's part of you that just says, I'm not going to ask. I got this. That's not good either. And I think that's why the Bible has so many of these one another commands. We're going to look at a few of these really rapid fire. There's a lot more of these that you could look up in Scripture. But there's all of these commands where the Bible says to do this for one another, right? Um, 1 John 3.11 Again, we're going to go through these pretty quick. First John 3.11, for this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. We should love one another. First Peter 4.9, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Colossians 3.13, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. So we, we talked, that would have been good with last week's too, because I think forgiveness is a, is a key piece of loving that person. That's super hard to love. Uh, Galatians 6 2. Yeah. Uh, carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. I love that he adds the justice in fact you're doing. You know, it's okay sometimes to read the Bible or go to church and walk out and think, we're doing that. We're actually pretty good at that. You don't always have to leave church or read your Bible and go, I'm terrible. I love that he's like, hey, just keep doing the thing that you're doing, but just a reminder, like encourage one another, keep keep doing it. You're doing well, but keep, keep doing it. And then the last one, Ephesians 5, this one's specifically in the context of marriage. Um, Paul says to hub, uh, husbands and wives to submit to one another out of reverence for, for Christ. And, and sometimes we miss that verse. You know, we, as a guy, you know, I really like to jump to the next one where it's like, wives, submit to your husbands. You know, that's one of the best verses in the whole Bible, I think, really. It's pretty high up there. But the verse right before that says that we're to submit to one another. So marriage is about mutual submission, husbands and wives to one another. My wife isn't sitting in this service, so I felt like I could sneak that in. But, and she never wants to watch a live stream because she hears me talk all the time. So I'm, I feel pretty good that she'll never know that if you keep your mouth shut. Okay. My son's running slides. I bet you're having a blast back there, buddy. You keep your mouth shut too, all right, bud? <laughs> but I know that was really fast. Again, they're all in the Bible app. But, like, there's another 40 or so of these one another's in Scripture where it specifically says to 
that, that for one another, each, each one of us as people of God, that we're to care for one another, that we're like spiritually, physically, maybe even financially, take care of one another. And I guess the big point, like what I want to recognize this morning, is that in the heart of every single one of those is a reciprocal give and take relationship. There's a mutuality to it. And, and that's the hard part. Because all of us want to be the helper, but none of us want to be helped. All of us have this thing in us that says, well, I'm happy to be generous, but I don't need your generosity, you know. Or, yeah, let me help you with that, but you don't need to help me, you know. In fact, when, when COVID hit, I, I've said this story a few times, but we, set up, we spent all this time setting up this website. And it was like, click here if you have something you can add to, to help someone in need. And click here if you need help. And the whole website was a terrible idea and didn't work because none of you clicked on, I need help. Every single person was like, I can help, I can help, I can help. And then you called and go, how come I can't help anybody? I'm like, well, there's like one person that said they needed something, and we got that taken care of. Like no one was, I'm like, someone needs something, right? I'm reading the papers, and nope, everyone just wants to help. Which again, like, that's a great thing. I mean, that, that's a good thing. But here, here's the deal. You can't one another one another if you're never the other. <laughs> Take a picture of that for a second, because you might need to read that later. If one another, if it's a mutual, reciprocal, give and take type of thing that the Bible was calling us to do, you can't actually obey those commands if you're never the other. If you're not willing to ever receive and it's always just give, give, give. I got this. I got this. And so if you're always the one and never the other, I, I would encourage you to ask yourself why. Like why is it so hard for me to ask for help? Why is it so hard? Why, why do I find it so much easier to give than to receive? And there's like all kinds of ways we can answer that. And remember that the guy in the conversation with Jesus, he asked the second question to justify himself. There's lots of ways we can justify our inability to receive from other people. You know what my favorite way to justify myself is? Is to use the Bible out of context. That's like my favorite way to do it because it kind of feels spiritual, right? Right? So like for this, some of you might think, well, you know, doesn't the Bible say that it's, it's better to give than receive? It's more blessed to give than receive. So I don't ever want to receive. I only want to give, right? It's like, I don't think that's quite, <laughs> that's not quite what's going on here. Right? If, you're, if you can't want another one another, if you're never the other. And I think there's four main reasons why sometimes we, we struggle with this, um, why, why it's hard. It's like a false assumption or a false belief that we have about receiving from other people, right? The, the first false assumption is that needing help shows a lack of maturity. We think that if we need help in some way, that it says something about us, that it says that we are deficient in some way, that, that we aren't as grown as we're supposed to be, maybe, or, or um, that, that we're not as wise as other people. The second one we, I think we wrestle with is the false belief that needing help reveals my ignorance. Like if I ask for help, that's going to tell someone, that's going to show someone that I don't know something. 
right? They, they know something, and I don't. But none of us know everything. You're not expected to. In fact, this is why, uh, you know, we've all been given different abilities, and, and one of the one another's in Scripture is about using what God has given you for the building up of other people and for the building up of his church, for you to use your gifts and me to use mine. And it's because I don't have the gift that you have. And, and maybe you don't have the one that I have. And so the idea is that we would mutually use those for the benefit of the whole body, of the whole church. It's okay. It doesn't mean you're dumb or ignorant or anything like that. It just means you're not perfect. Um, the third false assumption is, is needing help is a sign of weakness. This is a big one, I think, for us. We don't want to admit that we need something or that someone else might have something else that we need because we don't want to seem like we're not as strong or as capable as we want to project into the world. Like there's a lot of, there's a lot of ego attached to this one. And then the last false assumption is that uh, needing something is a burden to others. Needing help is a burden to others. You know, everyone's got their stuff, right? Everyone's going through things. Everyone's got their own full calendars and full plates and struggles. And so if, I, if someone knows that I'm in need, I don't, I don't want to burden them with my burden. And this is the one, though, that I read it and I go, I don't know if that's false. Um, it actually might be true. That needing help is a burden to others. But then what did uh, Galatians 6 just say that we read? That part of the body of Christ's role is to carry each other's burdens. And so what happens is when you say, oh, I don't want to burden anybody with my burden. And they, they got there. What happens is you actually rob someone else from the ability to bless you. And the blessing that there is in their life. Because have you ever been to a point where you're like, you're just overwhelmed. There's so much junk going on in your life. It's just things are so heavy and frustrating. you got tunnel vision on your problems, and it just feels like it's never going to end. And then you have the opportunity to get outside of yourself and help somebody else. And what that does to your own well-being. Like when you, when you say, I don't want to ask for help, or I don't want to say I have any help because they, they got their own birth. You're actually potentially robbing them from a blessing of being able to step outside of themselves for a minute. And the same is true for you when you're in that cave, when you're in that dark place. You just say, man, I wonder how I would feel different if I'd go and meet a need of somebody else for a minute. I think we all wrestle with these assumptions or concerns. And you've you probably got more that you can add to the list. But I, I just want to close real quick with two reasons why I think this is so important, right? Two reasons why we, we've got to, as my mom would have said to me, uh, Mike, you need to build a bridge and get over it. Very soft and compassionate. Uh, she was. She was awesome. But she would say that to me all the time. I'd be upset. Just build a bridge and get over it, bud. You know? We, I'm just telling you, as your pastor, you got to build a bridge and get over these false assumptions. And, and there's, there's two main reasons why. Okay, number one, our ability to receive, to be able to take from someone else, is foundational to friendships. Right? Nobody wants to be in a lopsided relationship. Okay, and when you refuse to let other people help you, you don't, you don't realize this, but you're actually causing them to, to pull back. Because if all you do is give and all you do is help them and you're the answer person and you never receive, you make them feel less than you 
You don't know that you're doing this. You're not a bad person. But this is what happens. You make them feel like a project when you're only helping them and never receiving help from them. You actually rob them of some of their dignity when you do that. There was a guy we went to college with, and he always had the answer to everything. You know anybody like that? Don't look at him. But, like, do you know anybody that's always, they just know everything, you know? And, and this guy, it wasn't even in class. It would be, like, at lunch. We would be talking about something. I'd throw out an opinion. And he would start every response. <laughs> not even joking, Every response would start with, well, actually. <laughs> well, actually, um, in 1983, the seminal work by Dr. So-and-so, it says, no one wants to be friends with the actually guy. Right? It's like never once did I ever hear this guy say, yeah, that's a pretty good point. Or I just learned, I just learned something from you um, when you shared that thing in class last, last period. I hadn't thought about that. That's interesting. It was always like, I got the answer. Let me impart my wisdom on you. It, it is the same thing. It's the same thing when we're always like, let me help you, let me help you, let me give to you, let me give to you. Oh, no, 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 I'm okay. No, I'm good, I'm good, I'm fine. That person begins to feel less than you. They feel like a project. And what happens is, is it, it robs you of some intimacy and some closeness. Like, we were so friends with that guy. Like, he sat with us at lunch despite my objections. But I wasn't ever going to get close to somebody like that. So your ability to receive is foundational to the friendships that you, that you create. And then secondly, our ability to receive is foundational to our faith. It's foundational to our faith. Rob, team, if you guys want to come on up, we're going to take communion here in a minute. If you didn't get communion, feel free to grab it uh, out the back doors there. But I want to take you to John 13. If you've got a Bible open still, go to John 13 in the New Testament. I'd never really read this story this way until I started thinking about this message. And then I, this story popped up in my Bible reading plan for the week. And I thought, wow, interesting. So in John 13, the disciples and Jesus are in an upper room. They're sharing what would have for them been the Passover meal. And in the middle of that meal... It seems pretty abrupt. Jesus just suddenly gets up and he walks away and he grabs a towel and he ties it around his waist and he grabs a basin of water and he starts to wash the disciples' feet, which would have been the job of a common house slave. It's a nasty, dirty job. So he starts to wash their feet. And then in John 13, verse 6, Peter speaks up. It says, he came, Jesus came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. Peter said, no. Like, Jesus, stop. You will never wash my feet. Like, look, look at the language. You shall never wash my feet. Like, like Jesus is command, or Peter is commanding Jesus here. Jesus replies, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. So here's Jesus again. He's down on his knees. He's taking the posture, the, the position of a house slave, 
washing their feet. And Peter's like, I cannot accept this. I refuse. I refuse to receive this from you, Jesus. I'm not going to let you do this. And Jesus says, if you refuse this, you refuse me. You have no part in me. Let me wash your feet. If you, if you want to be my follower, you need to learn how to accept this, Peter. So then Simon says, then not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And I wonder if there's any connection between our inability to receive help from other people and what we might perceive as a lack of closeness with God or a lack of intimacy with God. That, that our inability to receive or accept from others somehow bleeds into our faith. And we just think, I don't, I don't really need anything from God. I'm good, I'm fine. Because the gospel, right, the good news that Jesus came to bring is grace from beginning to end. Like, it's all about receiving. Not about earning. It's not about taking care of yourself and being okay. It's about admitting, oh my goodness, Lord, I need you. I am the guy on the side of the road who's beat up and bleeding and can't do anything about it, can't get up. And then someone came along when I least expected it. And not only picked me up and bandaged my wounds, but forgave my sin. And the only way the gospel becomes real in your heart and your life is to have a posture of receiving. Saying, I need that from you. So as we take communion, all right, we've got the body and the blood of Jesus there in your hands. If you're a, a follower of Jesus, this is your meal. This is for you. If you're not there yet, you're not sure what you believe about Jesus, he's not Lord of your life, just you don't need to take this. It's totally fine, okay? No one's gonna judge you or we're not taking notes of like, oh, three rows back, they didn't take communion, all right? This is, this is for you as a follower of Jesus to give thanks for the body and blood. And I want you to meditate on two questions as you take this this morning. The first question is, what do I need from others? Like maybe it's wisdom in an area of life you're struggling in. Maybe it's encouragement. It could just be prayer. It could be just, I need, I need people to pray for me or pray for my family or whatever it is. What do I need from others? And then secondly, what do I need from God? I mean, we all need salvation. We all need forgiveness. Those are constants. But James, the book of James says, has this interesting verse where it says, there's things that we want that we don't have because we don't ask God for it. Now, I don't think that means that you can ask God for whatever you want and like a Ferrari is gonna be in the parking lot when you get out of here. I don't think that's what that means. But if you read the context of that passage, it's saying that part of the reason we struggle and we fight with each other is because we all have these deep needs in our life and we aren't getting them met in the world. We aren't getting them met by each other. And instead of turning to God and asking him to meet those needs, we fight with each other to try to meet them. So what do you need from God? Maybe it's acceptance. Maybe it's love. Maybe it's a listening ear. 
Maybe there's healing, like a specific thing that you need to ask him for. What do you need from others, and what do you need from God? And then the question is, is will you let him wash your feet? Like, will you let him know that there's a need in your life? And then will you take the posture of receiving and allow him, allow him to speak into that place, allow him to move in that way in your life?